It is often easy for us to forget how much of a miracle modern medicine is. Now, what once meant certain death can lead to decades of healthy life. But what would you do when a pregnancy would not end? Find out what lengths some women traveled today on Footnoting History. Welcome to Footnoting History. I am your host, Leslie Skousen, and today I'm going to talk about some of the risks that brave women took in order to try to save their lives when a pregnancy would not end. First, what do I mean? Standard pregnancies last 40 weeks, and whether the baby is delivered successfully or not, they will be delivered eventually. I am referring to the mysteries of the body, and a period of time when confirming pregnancy meant discovering a bulge and having a midwife or doctor feel for the quickening with child. The quickening was the determination of a heartbeat or moving child within the body. This practice leaves so much room for error. Pregnancy brings hope mixed with fear, and a pregnancy that does not end with a birth leads to desperation. One famous woman who experienced this was the eldest daughter of Henry VIII. In March of 1558, Queen Mary I of England, who is also known by her detractors as Bloody Mary, brought her troublesome sister, the future Queen Elizabeth, to court in order to announce her pregnancy. It was a long time coming, but Mary felt sure it was time. She must be seven or eight months pregnant. Mary's controversial reign had to be cemented with the legacy of a child. After years of trying with an uncooperative husband, the time had arrived. She was filled with hope and jubilation. Mary withdrew to her chambers with her sister and ladies-in-waiting in order to prepare for the arrival of a little prince or princess an heir to the throne, someone who could continue her defense of the Catholic Church. For weeks, the population waited. Rumors spread across Europe that she had given birth to a strong boy, but no formal announcement came. Two months later, Mary gave up on the idea that she was having a baby. Her pain and day-to-day movement continued to grow. Her swollen belly expanded more and more. Doctors attempted to end the pregnancy, But as spring turned to summer and summer turned to fall, it was clear that this was no baby. By November of that year, her illness worsened and Queen Mary passed away. There is no doubt that Mary's body changed with the telltale signs of pregnancy, but she clearly was not pregnant. Modern doctors have suggested that she suffered from ovarian cysts or stomach cancer. Even the best doctors of the day would not have known how to perform surgery to cut out the devastating cysts or cancerous tumors. And so the queen, as powerful as she was, perished. Her sister Elizabeth ascended the throne and undid most of her work by continuing the Protestant Reformation. In 1701, a Scottish woman experienced something similar. It began with the fearful joy of discovering her body changing. Her husband and a midwife assured the quickening of child. Growth was steady, and the pregnancy continued without common afflictions like swollen ankles or morning sickness. As time wore on, however, the final stages never came. The unnamed woman continued to grow larger and larger. Hope disappeared, and fear became a panic. This woman did not languish alone. She sought help from her local barber surgeon. He was unable to induce delivery and referred her to a well-respected and published man named Robert Houston at St. Andrew's Hospital in Scotland. His reputation was a great one. Surely he could help. Dr. Houston gave her a physical evaluation and concluded that she needed a cesarean section. This would have to be performed without the benefits of anesthetic. 
although there was documented use of various opiates and pain reduction plants throughout history, anesthesia as we know it today grew out of the discovery of laughing gas. It was used in mid-19th century Victorian parties before it became applied to surgeries. Chloroform became a small influence around that same time, but Western use of morphine did not become regular until the 1890s, so a patient in 1701 would not have had this valuable benefit going into a surgical procedure. She and the doctor talked about the risks and the bravery required to survive it. With a touch of alcohol and some men to hold her down, the woman suffered through the operation. Dr. Houston made a small incision to begin the cesarean section but he was unable to find a baby. He explored more deeply, hoping to remove a failed miscarriage and save the woman's life at least. What he removed was definitely not a baby, however. It was a gelatinous material. He probed deeper and removed more. Ultimately, he removed pounds of this substance, which was likely an ovarian tumor. He wrote about the surgery and claims the woman lived another 13 years. A miracle. Unfortunately, medical experts dispute his claim as an attempt to be declared the father of ovariotomy. In 1897, the British Medical Journal would publish a lively and very public debate about the impossibility of this story being true. How could a woman undergo such cruel, lengthy, hours-long surgery? The later debate would point to how Dr. Houston's paper relied on inaccurate portrayals of the woman's body and where organs ought to be. There was a persistent disbelief that this woman would suffer through exploratory surgery without dying, that she could survive such a remarkable surgery without giving so much as her name, yet still to be known to live 13 years later, seemed quite unlikely. Instead of removing an ovary or cyst or a tumor, he likely simply nicked such a growth and drained it without removing it. They finally concluded that Dr. Houston was likely attempting to make claims more about his legacy than about truth. And yet... True or false, this story is important because of its realism. His portrayal of her body may be questionable, and undergoing an hours-long surgery without anesthesia may be difficult to believe, but we know women suffered tumors and complications to pregnancies on a regular basis. The fear and risks were not too difficult to believe, even if the doctor's report was a little too incredible. I mean, imagine, you go about your day, about your life, you start to notice a bulge in your abdomen, part of you grows excited, but another part of you is wary. You likely knew someone who had died in childbirth. And then when the swelling grows and grows, nine months come and go, and you are not delivered of any child, let alone a healthy child. At what point do you strike out, pull out all the stops, and do what you can to save your life? Jane Todd Crawford decided that her time had come when her pregnancy had grown down her stomach and had to be split like a skirt between her legs in order for her to sit down. This remarkable woman lived with this enormous tumor for at least a year before she decided the time had come to deal with it or accept that she was going to die. Crawford was born in 1763. She grew up in Virginia. In 1794, she married Thomas, and they moved to Kentucky to pursue a living. By 1809, she had four children, and it appeared there was another on the way, but this one was taking far too long to be a natural birth. And as her stomach grew down between her legs... Crawford came to the conclusion about life and began to plan a journey to Danville, where a well-respected surgeon lived. His name was Ephraim McDowell. McDowell had been successful in saving complicated pregnancies. He worked quickly and had a strong reputation for knowing just what to do when nature took a dangerous turn. 
Dr. McDowell came to the Crawford home where he examined the patient. He correctly guessed that this was the largest ovarian tumor he had ever seen and definitely not a pregnancy. Jane Crawford begged him to save her from suffering a long, slow, painful death. This is when McDowell suggested that they try something that had never been completed successfully on record, an oviotomy to remove the tumor and to save the patient's life. The first obstacle was that Crawford and McDowell lived 60 miles away from each other. McDowell could not bring all of his equipment and his surgical room with him to Crawford's home, so she decided to brave the elements. In December of 1809, with some help, Jane Todd Crawford was loaded onto a horse, side saddle, and began to ride the 60 miles atop her tumor. In a time without painkillers or comfort or even the promise of morphine, To follow the surgery, Crawford risked it all to reach a doctor who still might kill her. On Christmas Day, Dr. McDowell performed the surgery. His movements were swift. The procedure lasted 25 minutes total. He began with a small incision while Crawford was held down. He located the tumor, cut it open, and began to drain it. When he had removed an incredible 22 and a half pounds of tumor material, He realized that his patient was fading and that removing it entirely would risk her life. This was the point where he stopped. He tied a ligature around the remaining area, cut off the fallopian tube, and isolated the remaining tumor material. He removed the ovary, stitched her up, and allowed her to convalesce at his home. Remarkably, Jane Todd Crawford made a full recovery. Her life after surgery is well documented. Unlike our unknown Scottish example, we can trace Crawford's sale of her home, her husband's death in 1821, and her move to Indiana. Meanwhile, Ephraim McDowell published his account of her surgery and additional surgeries he performed after hers in 1817. Because of the bravery and inner strength of this woman, other women were also able to benefit from each improved surgery. They could attempt this risky procedure and survived their ovarian tumors as well. As for Jane, she lived until 1842, 30 years more, outliving her husband and enjoying her life as a grandmother with her daughter's family in Indiana. Ephraim McDowell enjoys a reputation today as the father of oviotomy and a powerful landmark contributor to the science of medicine as a result. The event itself happened just miles away from Hodgenville, Kentucky, where a baby future president, Abraham Lincoln, was born in that same year. Monumental events were happening in Kentucky in 1809. Coincidences aside, though, this enormous risk became one of the many landmark events to contribute to the possible treatments we enjoy when illness strikes. It's a testament of the human endurance to think of Jane Todd Crawford living with this enormous tumor and even riding 60 miles sitting on it in her horseback saddle to make history while saving her life. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.